Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by Nicole Keeley, Chief Strategy Officer at Vision Critical. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today, Nicole. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited about this episode because when I when I got to look at your when I took a look at your background, uh, you just have such an impressive resume. I'm just going to start with that. And so what I like to do with these episodes is is go back to the beginning so that we can kind of give the audience some context about you know where you've been in the in the past, what you've done, and and kind of how it's it's culminated into what you're doing today. So could I just get a background on? you know, your career journey to date and how it has contributed to, to what you're doing today at Vision Critical. Sure. Uh, and, and thank you for the compliment. I'm, I'm honored. Uh, so I, I will start by saying that I have had a lot of good fortune and luck in my career. And, and a lot of this has been being at the right place at the right time and walking through the right door or the right window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've, I've first of all, I'll start by saying that I uh, live and have always lived in Ottawa, Canada. I, I studied here and I actually studied in marketing, which is in some cases in our field, a, a, a unique <laughs> trait unto itself. Yep. And, you know, growing up in Ottawa, my, my career choices were either to join the public service or to go into tech at the time in the late nineties. And I didn't want to be a public servant at the time. And so I chose tech by process elimination, you know, and, and at the time there were a number of small companies in, in Ottawa, you know, we were calling ourselves the Silicon Valley of the North. Yeah. Uh, and I was able to join a few small companies, one that eventually got acquired by Adobe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that just kind of opened up a completely new dimension of my career. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to say that the, the, depending on how you want to do the math, the nine or the 13 years that I spent at Adobe <laughs> was truly a highlight of my career. It's a company that truly appreciates the, the strategic importance of marketing that values their employees, that is obsessed with their customers. And so that was a, a really powerful uh, experience for me to, to, to learn from. And I learned a ton working mm-hmm. in that company. I got to work with some amazing people who are still very close friends of mine today. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the one thing I just want to add, add to that is every, everybody who, who I've had on this show has, has something similar where they're like, this is the one thing that like was a really big turning point for me. I think about that with myself when I started working in marketing at Red Bull, it was the same type of thing where their, their colleagues, but they've turned into, you know, mentor, lifelong friends, that sort of thing. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Absolutely. And, and you may not realize it when it's happening. Yeah. Right? But yeah. when you look back, um, you, you come to appreciate how pivotal that time was in your career, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And, and so I was, I was and remain very grateful for that experience. Uh, you know, Adobe was, while a fantastic company to work for, it was not always an easy company to work for, right? Mm-hmm. The expectations were high, and, and uh, for you to kind of make it through the cut year after year after year meant that you were delivering results and that you were well-respected within the organization, which is mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, I, I then made a switch to SAP, mm-hmm. which was also fascinating, and super you know, rewarding in terms of the more global nature of mm-hmm. SAP and the fact that it has such a strong presence in Europe, but also just in, in so many different countries around the world. And, uh, you know, there was just really 
exciting for me to be able to apply a lot of the things that I thought I knew from Adobe, but then, you know, you went and buy them in a new company and a new set of markets. Sometimes you have to pivot or you have oh, to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so that was, was also just a, a, a fantastic experience, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things was understanding that in every organization, the role of marketing is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that role evolves over time and it ebbs and flows. But, you know, that was something that I had to, to come to understand what was expected of me as a marketer at SAP as opposed to what I had experienced earlier in my career. But again, a fantastic experience and one that I will forever be grateful for. I got to see some very interesting corners of this world uh, <laughs> through, through my roles at SAP. And um, then, you know, late last year, earlier this year, uh, an opportunity kind of presented itself for me to join Vision Critical, which, you know, I'll just say a couple sentences about us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we are a customer experience management and insights provider. We're a Canadian SaaS company. And when the opportunity presented itself for me to join and go back to working for a Canadian company, which frankly I hadn't done in almost 20 years, I was really excited to be able to kind of have a a direct role in shaping the strategy, shaping the role of marketing that was mm-hmm. part of that strategy, um, and, and, and really kind of helping to take this company to its next level, which is super exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Because you guys just recently, I, I believe you guys just recently closed another round of funding. Correct. Yeah. Con- congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> That's really exciting. I think, you know, obviously Vision Critical has been, has been doing its thing for, for a long time now, but it's really interesting to see, you know, obviously another round of funding, bringing in people like you to, to kind of lead things. I believe there was a new CEO recently, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he's a large part of the reason I'm here because he and I work <laughs> together at SAP. Ah, okay. Uh, so that's Ross Wainwright. And then yeah. we've uh, also brought in recently a new uh, president of products who yeah. is um, just doing an amazing job with a, a really uh, impressive team as well as a new COO. So there's been a lot of change for the folks at Vision Critical this year, but I think in general, everybody's excited about what we've been able to achieve Mm -hmm. um, and and some of the potential that we have in front of us. For sure. So on that note, I want to kind of dive into the topic, this idea of of customer centricity in the the age of technology. And, and, you know, this is a topic that I've wanted to to dive into with a guest. And then, you know, when, when we got introduced, I was like, perfect. This is the person, this is the person that I need to talk to about this thing. So, you know, one of the things that, that I think about is it's, it's no secret that business and and specifically marketing has gone through a massive shift over the last decade with the, with the rise of technology. And there's plenty of brands that use technology to, you know, create better experiences for their customers, but there's a pretty clear divide in like who's doing it well and who's not. And so, with that in mind, from your perspective, what do you think is the key in, in that differentiation? What's driving good and bad? I mean, I think we could spend an hour on that question. Alone, <laughs> but, you know, I think it's a few things. One of the reasons I love working in tech is because it does have such an enormous impact and potential on a business's ability to, to grow and achieve its goals. But tech is not the solution on its own. It is about people, processes, and the technology. And I think when we talk about applying technology specifically as it relates to customer centricity, there has to be not only a deep dedication and commitment 
to doing the right thing for the customer from the start and from the top down. But there has to be a deep understanding of what that means. And subscribing for, for a SaaS platform doesn't answer that question. <laughs> doesn't <for> scratch <laughs> the itch <laughs> necessarily. No, it's not, not the magic pill or the magic bean or whatever you might want to call it. So it is about having kind of that strong organizational ability and muscle to be able to kind of recognize the business changes that need to be made within the organization to become more customer centric and understand, you know, have a deep understanding of your personas and your segments and, and, you know, your markets and what you're trying to achieve. And then understanding the technologies that are available and having enough permission, courage, risk appetite, if Mm -hmm. you will, to, to try some things out. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen is that a lot of times people will put something in place and, they mistakenly believe it's a one and done and it's never going to be a one and done. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a continuous cycle of setting the goals and objectives that you're trying to reach, figuring out what you think is going to be the way to get you there. Once you implement it, then content continuously kind of measuring and evaluating and, and testing and, and, you know, poking holes in it to see whether mm-hmm. it's truly helping you achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to kind of continue to, to refine it. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, all the while, the market, our offerings, the customers, their behaviors, those are all going to continue to change. And, and yeah. in no period of my career have we ever seen that more so than in the last four months. Yeah, I think I think about the one stat that comes to mind with the last four months. I think this was from um, uh, a guy named Ben Thompson. He's a writer for The Atlantic, I think. And he showed, what was it? It was a chart about e-commerce penetration. We've had 10 years in the US, they've had 10 years of, of e-commerce penetration growth in 12 weeks. Yeah. So it just speaks to like, yeah, <laughs> this this last little kind of period of time with with this pandemic and and with how markets are reacting and and how consumers are reacting we're seeing things that we've never seen before. Now, that's not necessarily new, right? Like to your earlier point, things are changing. But I think what's fascinating is like, we've never seen swings like we're seeing right now in terms of like how big and and seismic the changes have been in such a short period of time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I keep saying as horrible and, and challenging as this pandemic has been for every single person on this planet, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's incredible to think there have been very few world events that have truly impacted every single human on this planet. Mm-hmm. There have been some really exciting kind of silver linings coming out of it. And, yeah. and this is one of them is kind of understanding as businesses, you know, and, and of course we're parents and siblings and, and all that good stuff mm-hmm. when we're not working, but as businesses, how do we remain agile enough and in tune enough with what our customers are asking us for to be able to respond as their needs change, whether those are B2C or B2B customers, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever they are, the guarantee is that they're going to continue to change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, one of the things that, that we've been talking to a lot of our customers about is, well, well there's two things. One, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's mm-hmm. just kind of the nature, nature of, uh, of the business. And if you, if you thought you were agile before or you weren't agile before, you are now. Right. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you've kind of been pushed into the deep end. Yes. And, and it is, you know, I think we have seen some great examples of organizations who may not have been considered themselves agile, kind of rising to the occasion, if you will, mm-hmm. yeah. and surprising themselves and surprising yeah. the customers in the process. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that, that is something that I think has been encouraging, right? Like you've seen some brands probably uh, that, that have, that thought they were well prepared for this and maybe have, have floundered and then yeah, vice versa. There was a, a, 
um, a previous guest gave an example of a, a company that she was following on Instagram. And she, she made the point that like before the pandemic happened, they were, a, they were a flower company. And I mean like flower for baking. Mm, <laughs> and okay. then, then throughout the pandemic, they've now turned into like kind of just baking everything. And so it was like very, very interesting where they like listened to their customers. They were super agile. They like, they've been around for years and years and years, but they like completely rebranded in the middle of a pandemic because they were like, Hey, we've learned a ton about our customers and our, and our audience. And with Pete, I think this is, you know, with the rise of everybody breaking, baking sourdough bread and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing to watch small nimble companies like this that may have like not necessarily considered themselves like agile because if they're a smaller company, but what they did when you go through a brand transformation during a pandemic and, and shifting your, your whole kind of exterior and probably interior as well, that that's pretty amazing. Right. And so, yeah, I think there are tons of examples out there of companies that, that, have kind of been forced into doing that. And it's been, whether it's been uncomfortable or not, I think most people in those companies would probably say it's going to be a net benefit for them while, while it's hard going through it. Absolutely. There's a guy who I, I got to meet when I uh, spoke at a conference last year with, with Red Bull, actually. His name's Stefan Olander, and he was the former vice president of uh, digital, global digital innovation at Nike. And when I got introduced to him, I was introduced to him as Mr. Nike Plus. So he, he was the guy at Nike who, 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 who I guess came up with Nike plus or led the team around Nike plus. And one of the things that he spoke about in his talk then, and I've, I've kind of thought about it in terms of, you know, customer centricity and that sort of thing is he thinks that a lot of brands approach things backwards in that they're trying to solve problems with technology first. And it's kind of like what you alluded to earlier, as opposed to deeply understanding humans and their behavior and then using and picking the right technology to enrich the experience. Do you agree that that's a mistake that you're seeing out there or is it kind of mixed bag or, or what do you think about that? Yes, I thought about that question a little bit. You know, in my opinion, I don't think it's a sequential thing. I think it can be a parallel thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that technology can help organizations better understand their customers. Yes, absolutely. And all that stuff too, right? That's part of what Vision Critical does. But, yeah. um, you know, I, the, <laughs> if there was such a thing as a perfect equation to, you know, to kind of address that, I would mm -hmm. say it's, it's starting small with yeah. some hypotheses, hopefully some well-informed hypotheses <laughs> about what your customers want. Yep. And, as well with some hypotheses around the technologies that are going to allow you to deliver that. And then it's more of the, the, the concept of pilot and scale, right? So test it out in a smaller environment, shoot some holes into it, you know, get some, some, uh, some of your hardest customers, some of your easiest customers kind of going through that journey, whatever that might be, and then learn from that, iterate and scale it. Because, you know, if you wait to feel like you understand everything, you might actually miss an opportunity as well. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you run the risk of, of analysis paralysis and I love that, that pilot and scale. That's such a great framework. Like I, I'm writing that down because that, that's a, that's a great way to verbalize something that just, you know, I feel like we, I've done that in the past in, in other roles or seen people do that, but that's just such a great way to explain it. And sometimes, you know, the pilot fails and then you start over with another pilot, mm -hmm. but it's, it's definitely worked. Yeah. I want to, I want to dive in a little bit deeper about, you know, marketers and, and them being able to build their insight capabilities. And so, like you said, obviously there's, you know, you can use technology to help you understand humans and customer behavior and that sort of thing. And there's no shortage of tools available, including vision critical and, and many others. 
Are there specific elements that you'd kind of recommend to marketers that they should be keeping top of mind as they build those insight capabilities? So what I mean by that is, you know, when you sit down and strategically approach, okay, I need to understand, better understand my customers. Are there certain aspects where you're like, yep, we're going to need this. We're going to need a bit of this. It's almost kind of like the recipe, so to speak. Yeah, I don't know that there's a single recipe. There's definitely some mm -hmm. patterns that we're seeing based on customers in different industries. Mm -hmm. uh, as an example, you know, one of the big ones is that we've been talking a lot about lately is, is what, what uh, we like to refer to as the power of and. There are some larger organizations, and you, know, you mentioned Red Bull, who's actually one of, our, uh, one of a, a great customer of ours as well. But you can have a lot of information about of transactional behaviors that your customers are having whether it's in your CRM system or you know your customer information database whatever it might be but that might tell you the what it probably won't tell you the why yeah and you know coupling the what with the why is really important and mm -hmm. you may not be able to understand the why for every single customer right so if you have the what and I'll just use a, a broad example here yep. if you have a what for a thousand customers well, maybe you need to go try and understand the why for a hundred of them, right? Yep. And kind of dive a little bit deeper and, and dig under the covers, so to speak, to, to understand kind of the reasons that they're making the purchase decisions that they are, the usage decisions that they are, whatever it might be. The other is, you know, the larger the organization, and this is true of marketing insights, customer insights, and pretty much anything else you can imagine, the larger the organization, the more likely it is that there are multiple small pockets and silos of Kind of almost the same information <laughs> and and nobody really knows how many pockets of, of information exist and nobody's actually trying to leverage them as a whole yeah so you know, i think that's a, a big missed opportunity and then i think the last piece i'd say is it's one thing to have the insight and if you had you know you, you cracked the secret code and you could perfectly understand your entire customer base it's one thing to have the information it's another thing to act on it yeah. And, and so coming back to one of my earlier comments about kind of it's about not just about the technology, but it's about the people in the processes too. Like the, the organizational culture has to be one where teams are, are being encouraged and, and maybe even held accountable to acting on that insight. So what are you going to do with that information so as to not only just improve the customer experience, but hopefully also help to drive other benefits back to the business, whether it's increasing revenue, redu reducing costs or, or whatever that might be. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think it is to, to your earlier point about like how there's sometimes this illusion of technology being the bandaid that's going to fix it all. And, you know, yeah, tech technology can really help. But, but to your point, do you have the right people, the right butts in seats who can use that technology and interpret meaning from that technology? And then going a step deeper, do you have buy-in from the organization to actually listen to that sort of stuff and act on it and believe it, right? Absolutely. Like, I feel like it's like an onion, right? You just start peeling back the layers and, and there's, there's a lot there. Yeah, and I've certainly been in these meetings and I'm sure a lot of your listeners have been in some of these meetings too where the customer insight data gets presented and somebody with a big paycheck and a big title says, oh, I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> that hits home. <laughs> and, and, and then everybody's frozen. It's like, well, you know, I, I don't know. Don't ask me. Ask our customers. That's what they've just told us. Yeah. And, and it's hard to dispute that. But, you know, the, the, the stronger the customer 
centricity within the organization, the stronger the, that customer experience program, hopefully the less frequent that sort of experience is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, want, I want to dig into that a little more because I feel like, you know, I personally, when I said that hit home, I've been in meetings like that before when I worked on the brand side for, for many years where something like that would happen. And I've, I've been asked by friends, colleagues, customers, how, how do you deal with that? Like what, what is the way, and, and I don't know if you necessarily have, have an answer to that, but I, I find that that's a question that a ton of people are, are a ton of marketers are, are faced with today. Yeah. Unfortunately, it kind of, it's a situational yeah. sort of thing, right? <laughs> Where it depends on the person who's not believing it. If it's yeah. the CEO, then maybe you have a bigger problem. Yeah. Then maybe you need um, a new job. <laughs> <laughs> If it's not the CEO, then, you know, I, at least the way I would approach it is to find kind of a peer level equivalent or, mm -hmm. or another leader at that same level that, that you can convince that can kind of be your, your sponsor in, in, in fighting that fight. Absolutely. It's a difficult thing. And, and, you know, I think that brings us back to the fact that it's not just technology that's going to be the, the magic bean for all of this, right? That if an organization doesn't have this commitment, you know, from top to bottom, end to end, toward customer centricity then you know these initiatives are, are going to be difficult yeah well and, and it makes me think back to and this is something that i've mentioned a, a lot on on previous episodes of this podcast and i feel like it it sends people for a bit of a loop with the podcast being called measure what matters but i always ask a lot about the the, the balance of art and science within marketing and you know mm -hmm. it's kind of been said that the best marketing is typically a balance between art and science and you know, it seems like what we've kind of spoke about today with, with balancing understanding customers and behavior, that that's a very kind of artistic side of it, but there's also like the scientific side of it with, with tech. And so, you know, do, what do you think about that balance between art and science in, in marketing? Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? Why or why not? Uh, wholeheartedly, I agree with it. And, and the way that I've described it, and, and you're bringing me back to a <laughs> interview I actually had about 10 years ago with, with a business stakeholder. It was, yeah. this was a job interview. Yeah. And, and this, you know, the person I was speaking to was not somebody who does marketing day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And, and the way that I explained it uh, was it is the, an art and science, but there are two sides to the very same coin. Right. And, and on the art side, it's about being able to craft relevant, compelling messages and, you know, the, the brand and the personification of the brand. And, you know, those are all things that tend to be a little bit more intuitive and creative in nature. The other side of that very same coin, though, is as you're starting to execute and deliver that brand into the marketplace and touch customers and manage your funnel and create demand generation programs, you have to be able to measure the impact that you're having and whether it's the right impact with the right customers so that you can, again, kind of iterate on it. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yes, the, 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 uh, the, the, the marriage, if you will, of art and science is absolutely how I would describe what's necessary for marketing. Yeah. And I think that it, it, it's so fascinating because that's also what makes marketing so powerful, but that's also, I think what makes marketing so kind of hard to wrap your head around it. Because on, on one hand, there's like aspects of marketing that are like, scientific and I'm using kind of air quotes here, but you know, like performance marketing, like that side of it. But then to your point, like messaging that can be informed by, by, you know, some of the data side of it and the insight side of it, but it also 
has to be, you know, on brand and match the tone and all those different pieces. And I think that, you know, my hypothesis is that's what makes it difficult for non-marketing people to, to understand or, or to really kind of wrap their, their head around it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I might take it a little one step further, which is, and I won't, you know, paint a broad brush. It's not everybody who's a non-marketer that, mm-hmm. that thinks this way, but I've known several of them uh, throughout my career that this, this preconceived notion that marketing is bubble gum and unicorns and, and you know, branded t-shirts and, and pens and just make organize the label bigger. trade show and, and make sure it's a good party and then you've done your job. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that is, is more than frustrating Yeah. because to me, you know, in addition for, uh, to marketing being kind of this art and science, to me, I, it's this, this triangle of understanding the market, the customers and, and what you're trying to sell, mm-hmm. right. And how those things need to come together for success. And, and that requires critical thinking. It requires strategic thinking. Um, it requires strong partnership across the entire organization from sales to the product organization, to the operations team, you know, to the customer success team and, and, and beyond mm-hmm. in order for marketing to be successful at doing that, their job. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think what has been unique in, in this period of time where we're at today in this, in this pandemic is one of the things that we've noticed in looking at, working with our customers, talking to, to friends of ours who, who work in marketing, reading different things, it feels like marketing is going under the microscope. And that's kind of a hypothesis that, that we've kind of really leaned into as a, as a business. And the hypothesis is kind of formed on, okay, you know, the economy, there's stuff happening with the economy. I think like a couple of days ago, the UK just declared an official recession. I think the mm-hmm. US now is in recession. We're seeing that, right? So with that, CEOs and, and the C-suite are looking at, okay, where, 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 are we, where can we trim back things? Because if there's less revenue coming in and if we need to trim things back, historically, it feels like marketing is usually on that list. And marketers now are, are kind of being put under the microscope and it feels like a lot of them who don't necessarily have the sophistication or like the, the data side of it or, or can't necessarily speak to all of it are, are struggling. Do you, do you agree with that? I think in certain kinds of companies, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but I've also heard the same being described for many other kinds of functions in, in organizations, unfortunately, right? It's just given in companies that have seen unprecedented negative impacts on their business over the last few weeks, mm-hmm. everybody is being asked to basically yep. justify their existence. Yep. <laughs> And so it's not surprising to hear that in some cases, marketing is having to justify their existence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's the customer experience team or the marketing team or the, you know, the IT team, whoever it might be, um, it comes down to the leader being able to express the value of their team and, you know, their team's impact in terms of impact back to the business. Mm-hmm. And, and this is this is very much the science of the marketing of being able to demonstrate the impact of marketing on demand, the impact of marketing on customer loyalty, on customer lifecycle or, or lifetime value. And some of those things, frankly, are really hard to measure. And, and we're still struggling with some of those things. It is a science, but getting to 
a number that you feel confident you can represent in front of your CEO or your board takes a little bit of art too, right? It's, it's understanding yeah. what you're looking at and being able to interpret it. Yeah, I feel like that, you know, the way I would kind of, what I would add to that or what comes to mind is, is the topic of just countability and not accountability, countability. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like, I feel like that's another episode in itself where, you yes. know, this, this idea of, of just because it's easy to count doesn't mean that you should. And vice versa, just because it's hard to count doesn't mean that you shouldn't. And it is like finding that, that, that balance, so to speak of, of all those different inputs, whether it's different stakeholders, the industry that you're in, the type of product that you sell, how, how tedious is it to count those things? Is that the most important thing that actually matters to the success of your business and that sort of thing? So yeah, that's, that's interesting to hear you say that. It's hard. It's definitely hard. And, and there's no right answer. And I feel like as you continue to get closer to an answer, something changes. Uh, guaranteed. <laughs> and, that's just, and that's just the nature of marketing, right? I want to switch gears here a little bit. I, I think, you know, you, you've worked at so many amazing companies and, and seen so much with, with either the work that you're doing or, or customers are, are doing. What, do, you got, do you really have any good examples that, or bad examples that you could share of brands that use a customer-centric approach to cut through the noise? Yeah, I'd love to, to maybe share a couple just kind of ge- general examples and mm-hmm. a couple who are our vision critical customers. Sure. Uh, so first and foremost, I, I am forever an Adobe fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so I, I, I cop to that right off the bat. But I yeah. think Adobe does a supremely good job mm-hmm. of uh, always understanding the, the very um, diverse set of customers that they serve. Mm-hmm. Right, so that you've got your creative professionals, you've got your enterprise customers, you've got a bunch of stuff in between, but they are always committed to, you know, starting with the customer and everything that they do, mm-hmm. which is something that I admire. Yeah, you know, Sephora is a, a great. You know, I'm a customer of Sephora, uh, mm-hmm. and through the pandemic, they've <laughs> they've kept my credit card warm. But uh, <laughs> you know, they, they do a great job of just kind of understanding based on the fact that I'm a repeat customer, you know, as I continue to come back to the site, you know, their ability to kind of almost anticipate what I'm coming for Mm -hmm. is pretty astounding. You know, in terms of some of our customers that, that, that we've gotten to work with, uh, one is GoDaddy, you know, we talked about kind of the advent of e-commerce. Well, GoDaddy Mm -hmm. in the last few months has seen their customer base um, be impacted. These small businesses, shops, right. And, and, they pivoted on a dime to create some really amazing programs to help promote those mom and pop shops and those small businesses to the wider kind of GoDaddy community and the, and the digital community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really amazing. I'll give you another example, Charlie, which is unfortunately a, a brand that I can't name, but I'll mm-hmm. describe it and maybe you know, you'll get a, a sense of who I'm talking about. But you know, a very large fashion retailer in the U.S. who has mm-hmm. multiple brands. Again, you know, as soon as the pandemic hit, they were reaching out to their customers, their customer community that they run on Vision Critical to ask, you know, what is it that you need from us? What is it that you expect from us? And that was the first thing they did. And within a couple of days, which is the other impressive thing about the story, but and I'll come back to that. Within a couple of days, they got an, an enormous amount of data, resounding feedback around two things. They said, make sure you're protecting your employees and 
you know, divert your production to making masks. And they listened to those customers and, and you know, they did as well as they could by their employees and furloughed them instead of laying them off and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And then they started making masks and as soon as they were available online, they sold out within less than a day. Wow. So I'll come back to the point that they were able to get that feedback within a couple of days, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> when the world falls apart overnight, basically, and an organization already has an active customer insight community, that they have nurtured and, and that they that is an active community, they're in a much better position to go ask those kinds of questions and get quick responses than an organization that's not customer centric, that would then have to kind of start from scratch, build, figure out what they need to do, build it up, and then go ask the customer and then figure out how to respond to it. So these customer centric organizations, right, really do have that competitive advantage in terms of being able to respond to, to how our world is changing from day to day or week to week. For sure. And I th the thing that comes to mind there is it sounds like it was, you know, it, it, all of a sudden the Titanic got the turning radius of a sports car, Absolutely. <laughs> right? Like taking yeah. a big org and, and giving it that competitive advantage or that unfair advantage to be like, oh, no, boom, we can kind of turn this. And I always find that's what's so impressive because, you know, when you understand, when you've worked in big companies like you and I have, you understand how sometimes like, no offense, things can be big, dumb and slow. And <laughs> And that's just kind of the reality of it. But that's what happens when companies grow. And so I'm always impressed by companies that are able to, to, okay, yes, on one hand, they might, you know, with business as usual, they might be more slow or more methodical or that sort of thing. But to your point, like things, things happen and, and things get real and, and they're able to kind of pivot quickly. So that's a really interesting example. For sure. So the next question that I kind of want to jump into is, is it's, it feels like, you know, 2020 has been a rough year for, for everybody. And sure. one of the things that I like to ask people about is what, what gets you excited, right? There's been a lot of kind of, you know, negativity, I feel like in the world. And so when it comes to, to marketing in general, what are the things that, that get you more excited for whether it's, you know, vision critical itself or, you know, for some of your guys' customers? Like what are the things that, that really get you fired up and where marketing's going? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think that the, the Thing that excites me the most right now is that the game is being rewritten mm -hmm. right and and you know over the last few years and you know i've been doing this 23 24 years it kind of felt like okay well you know we'll have a customer summit and and we'll kick off some demand gen programs and we'll do some paid <laughs> advertising and you know the, the the ingredients to the recipe were sort of known but now that we're having to reach our customers digitally and our customers are having to reach their customers digitally pretty mm -hmm. much almost solely digitally and that you know the the way that all of us is are you know are, are ready to kind of consume information and, and offers and, and promotional materials whatever it might be is completely different you know I, I think the game is being completely rewritten and, and and so that excites me on a couple of levels I think we'll see probably some harder ways <laughs> of, <laughs> of remaining relevant and kind of cutting through the noise. I'm, I'm excited about the fact that more and more it is going to rely on companies that are able to do that successfully through digital channels. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see some companies that have been maybe a little slow to embrace <laughs> the digital world, which seems ridiculous to say in 2020, but it's yeah. true. Yeah, it is um, what it is. Finally kind of figure it out, right? So what are going to be not only in terms of attracting customers, but servicing customers. Are we actually going to finally 
be able to, you know, send people, you know, information on their cell phones on an on-demand way because that's what they want versus sending them 17 email, nurture emails that they don't want or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. I think it's a new world that's up to all of us to jointly kind of redefine. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. And, and changing the game, that's what makes it so exciting. I feel like, right. It it can create stress for people professionally, but I don't know, at the same time, I feel like that's what, what draws me into marketing. And that's what draws a lot of people into marketing is the the constant change. It doesn't, it's never going to be the same. That's why I'm still doing it. (laughs) Fair enough. Another question that that I always ask people, and as we kind of start to wind down this, this episode, what do you do to stay up to date on business and marketing? Who are you following? What are you reading? What are you listening to? And and the reason why I asked this is when I first started getting into, into marketing and a lot of the really smart people who have, who have been influential to, to me in my career, I always found that that was such a great question to ask them. Like, what are you consuming? And, and, and a lot of them were always very well read or, or well versed in different things. And so, yeah, I'd love it if you, if you have any, uh, sources that, that our audience could, could listen to and tap into. Yeah. And I, and I wish I had some specific kind of pearls to share. I, <laughs> I would say that my tendency to kind of absorb information as it relates to business and marketing is similar to how I listen to music. <laughs> okay. I like pretty much every single genre of music with the exception of country. Sorry, country fans. Same. I'm the same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anything but country. I'm down. I, I will listen to just about anything. Um, and I will read just about anything. So, you know, I, I read, you know, Forbes, the economist. I, you know, I have been recently uh, doing a lot of reading of some, you know, industry analyst research from whether it's mm-hmm. Gartner or Forrester. I am very, very active on my LinkedIn and fortunate to have a pretty large network of people that I respect a lot. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of following their groups and their posts and different things. And then every once in a while, I'll just start Googling different topics and Mm -hmm. and see what I kind of find. And I'll go down some pretty deep rabbit holes, but it's just this kind of innate curiosity um, to, and I, I don't wait for information to cross my desk or to be published by a certain publication before I, I start kind of exploring that topic or that thought. Yeah. And I think that's, that's super great advice. Having that kind of thirst for, or, or that curiosity for, for knowledge is, is an important attribute to, to possess. Absolutely. Cool. Well, where's the best place for, for people to find you online or, or get a hold of you? Yeah. So I kind of referred to it before. I, I, I'm a LinkedIn, I, I would say almost as much as I'm an Adobe fangirl. I'm a LinkedIn <laughs> fangirl. I think it's, it's a super powerful platform for, for networking. And it's, it's the one place that I, can be found multiple times a day. <laughs> um, so that, that would be the best place for, for people to find me. Fantastic. Well, Nicole, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today. I, I really appreciate you, you chatting with me and I learned a lot and I'm, I'm sure everybody else did as well. Well, this was really fun, Charlie. Thanks so much for having me. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.